Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. We are going to have some fun with this episode. If this is your first time ever listening to this show, I hope you walk away inspired with some new ideas, some fresh ideas, because what I try to do here is talk with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, and, and people who just have that entrepreneurial spirit and try and get to the heart of what makes them do what they do and then get them to share their advice with you and, and hopefully inspire you a little bit. So before I get started, I want to thank the first sponsor of this show. And of course, the first sponsor of the show is my own group coaching program. But because it's the first of the year, I'm talking a lot about the Potential Mastermind Project because this is something that came out of listeners of this show asking me, hey, Tom, do you do coaching? Well, because of my travel schedule and you know, I speak and I emcee conferences around the country, I don't really have the ability to coach a lot of people. But some people said, could you start a group coaching program? And it's growing. We've got now over 10 people who are part of this little mastermind group. You can find information about it at potentialmastermind.com. But if you're thinking, hey, 2018 is the year I want to do more, I'll tell you from my own experience, you can't do it alone because we can only see the world through our own perspective. So getting a little collective group of friends who you can brainstorm with and who can give you a little bit of a push and then hold you accountable to what you're doing, I think it's a great thing. So if this interests you just a little bit, because I'll tell you, it's not for everybody, you can either f- jump over to PotentialMastermind.com or you can email me at Tom at TomSinger.com and I will gladly share any information that you need to help you decide if this is the right thing for you. So let's jump into today's episode. Today we have a great, great guest. Now, I don't know JP, but I will tell you that he is somebody who I think is going to share a lot with us. JP Gilbo really does have some interesting stuff that he is. He's a creative entrepreneur with a real care for the social good, and he's helping build a company that that's what they do. They help engagement for organizations, not-for-profits, that are trying to do the the better parts of the world. They're trying to help the greater cause. And one thing I like about him in the little chat that we had before we get going is he's full of energy and he's full of passion. And he is the CEO and president of Community Brands. So JP Gilbo, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. Could you please let the listeners know who you are and what your company and organization is all about? Sure. Uh, Community Brands is really a family of purpose-driven companies um, that have products centered on and meeting the needs of cause-focused organizations. Um, It's a company that's really what I often think about, helping and empowering people and organizations to succeed faster, grow stronger, and and drive engagement for good and social good. Um, You know, we we work with over 60,000 associations, nonprofits, schools and faith-based organizations to help them connect with their constituents and, and affect cause and, and their greater mission. So I think that caused-focused organizations, I think that's sort of a, a very good sort of buzzword for what's going on in, in 2018. Do you think we've reached the era of sort of the, the caused-focused organization? Do you think nonprofits and not-for-profits are really taking their seat at the table besides corp- beside corporations now, kind of pulling their chair up to that table? 
I, I think some corporations or for-profits are coming along uh, in, in, this, in this era. I, I think when you think about associations and nonprofits and private education and, and faith-based organizations, they've always been at the forefront of societal, real societal issues and real societal challenges. What, what I love about these organizations is they affect real, real problems and help address them. Things like income inequality, things like access to education, things like preventable death. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's unbelievable and inspiring to have a company helping do that with technology because the world is much more digitally connected and, and these organizations need the help to do that. Um, and I think for-profits are coming along uh, but I often like to talk about, you know, look, it really is a mindset. It's really, it's an internal belief in, in your for-profit company. And the way I often talk about it with our team and with our customers is we're a purpose-driven company and, and we're also a profit-driven company. And purpose and profit are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we play a role in society to do that. We even do that through some of our own philanthropic programs um, which I can share with you through the, through this. Um, but, but those are important pieces. And I think it, it's, a, it is so important today for organizations to be playing an active role in creating the world we want to, ha- to have. Well, I loved your comment. Purpose and profit are not mutually exclusive. I mean, I think I'm going to put that kind of in the headline or the, the first sentence of, of the show notes for this show, because I think that that is really so directly important for all of us to remember, whether we work in the for-profit world or the non-profit world, the two don't have to exist in, in silos. So I think that's awesome. So you took this company over, you became president and CEO. What did you do before? Give us a little bit about your background. What, what was your history? What led you along the path to, to being where you are today? Yeah, you know, um, I'll take it. I'll take you back. I always, you know, I was classically, classically trained uh, and, and formally trained at the University of Michigan, where I went to school. Go blue! Um, but I really like, uh, yeah, go blue. <laughs> Not a great Outback Bowl, but it, it'll it'll be a better n- next year. <laughs> um, but you know, I was I was classically trained, you know, through through a lot of the paradigms that we all go through. But it, it really is the life training. Uh, that really kind of makes you who who you are about to become. And, and I always like to describe my life training uh, started in, in a trauma center uh, alongside my mother, who was a nurse. And, and I learned so much about serving people and the criticality of timing and how to have compassion for people's needs. Um, and, and so I did that through through my journey in school. And, and from there, I went to work really for for three large public companies over a 25 year period, uh, into it done in Bradstreet and constant contact, all companies that had a hyper focus on transformation on software on analytics. Uh, and really the unique parts of where I worked was serving small to mid-sized businesses, which they operate a lot like cause based businesses with more of a passion and a, and a mission, um, behind what they do. And so, you know, that's where, you know, up until 2012, before I joined the company, that those, those were the types of companies I was, I was in, in large public companies, all in growth phases and transformation phases. And then uh, certainly kind of the calling uh, to come to an association-based technology company in 2012 to, to kind of begin 
to think about this, this, what I think about was a five per, uh, a 50 person organization and doing about 5 million, uh, to here we are, you know, um, let's see, five years later, uh, we have over, you know, 300, we had 300 employees as part of that company now and, uh, growing to over 60 million. And now we're part of an even much bigger company of community brands. Well, so that's fascinating because one of the things I always tell people, and we interview a lot of solopreneurs on the show, I interview a lot of people who have small businesses, but I tell people all the time when, when I'm speaking on the topic or, or when I'm working with somebody who's in my coaching group that, or that wants to join the coaching group who says, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur, I work for a company. You don't have to have your own startup in order to be an entrepreneur. I actually believe that most of the best leaders of companies are entrepreneurial, even if they didn't found them, if they came into them. And in order to help grow a company like you have from 5 million to over 60 million a year with uh, staff growth of, you know, 50 to 300, you have to have sort of that entrepreneurial spark inside of you to be able to take the reins and and help grow through these things. So what advice do you have for people? Let's take this episode for people who, who work for companies and want to be more entrepreneurial as a leader inside that company and, 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 and help spark that fast growth. What advice do you have for people who, who are in that lane? Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the thing I would say that's really important to think about and make part of you, yourself and your company is this, this thirst for curiosity and a thirst for learning. Um, I, I, I think it's very important to, you know, have a steady pulse on emerging trends and, and see around the corners because, you know, it, it's, we, we live in this on demand society. And it's highly dynamic today. And, and we're even, in, as, as CEOs and entrepreneurs, our job is to stay ahead of even what customers think they want um, and, and see around those corners even when customers don't see them yet. And so this, this idea of having curiosity and, and a thirst for learning is critical for entrepreneurs. And, and then, you know, it's okay to be wrong. I, you know, I think it's always interesting, you know, to try and drive a culture and drive a company based on hypothesis based, you know, uh, testing that it's not about whether you are right or wrong. Success is improving or disproving the hypothesis. And so if you can work quickly to have a hypothesis, validate that hypothesis and always do it, you know, I kind of think about think through the customer's lens. Uh, think through them, not just what they say, but how they behave and what they feel. Um, and how, how do you want to anticipate that want or reaction? And so, you know, I think those are big parts and, and, and you got to have a lot of, of, of comfort with, with taking risks and, and being okay with when they fail. Um, <laughs> Those are kind of advice I would say. Well, you know, it's interesting. You bring up it, it's it's okay to be wrong. The guest who was on the show immediately preceding this last Thursday, the show that dropped just a few days ago, his name was Douglas Spotted Eagle, and he is somebody who has done a lot of things. He's sort of a renaissance man in the fact that he hasn't had one career. He's had like five simultaneous careers. But he said he was proud of the fact of how many times he failed and that without yeah. that huge pile of failures, you know, everybody thinks he's so successful and he is. But he said it's just a little pile of salt. My success is just in comparison to the mountain of things I failed at. But it was okay to fail. So how do people get okay 
with failure. I mean, that's not something we were taught growing up, especially if you're, you know, nowadays, I think the, the younger generation, the 20-somethings, the, the you know, they've learned this, you know, fail forward, fail fast mentality that exists sort of in the tech world and everything else. But I think some of us who might be a little older, 35, 45, 55 years old, we weren't necessarily brought up that it was okay to fail. So how do you, how do you teach that? How do you get someone okay with that? Yeah, I, I think it's, re- first of all, it's, it's kind of reframing the way you think about what success is. And I'll go back to, you know, have a hypothesis, right? You don't feel a sense of failure when you've proven or disproven a hypothesis. You feel a sense of failure when you think you had the right answer. And so, so often people, I'm okay. I call it failure, you know, that the idea didn't work, but it's really not failure. It's, it's really success and you have to reward the company, the people for adopting a hypothesis and being okay with when it was wrong. And so I I think rewarding those lessons learned and sharing them in the business. Um, I, you know, I focus on every interview I do with, with um, job candidates in our company. I always ask them for their biggest failure. Uh, or biggest mistake, because I want to hear it. Um, and I want to then ask them, what did you learn? Um, <laughs> and, and see how they tackle that. And, and so I think, you know, it's, it's the questions, it's the, the, the approach that you reward the, le- the learning um, and, and be okay with that. Well, and I'm sort of reminded of the old Thomas Edison you know, quote, when they asked him about all the things he did and trying to invent the light bulb. And I forget the number, whether it was 5,000 or 10,000 things he tried and none of them worked. And they said, how did you, you know, how did you deal with all that failure? And I'm bastardizing the quote, but it was something to the effect of, you know, I didn't fail those times. I learned all the ways not to create the electric light bulb. They all, they all brought me closer. So is that sort of what you're saying? That's right. That's right. And, and if you can go through that experimentation and testing and add the next thing, you know, I, I think the thing is, is that if you get focused on the outcome and not on the how, your your approach will will bring you almost what what he was saying, and that is each step gets you closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what we have to focus on. Focus, fall in love with the problem and outcome, not on how you do it. Well, and I'm thinking right now kind of about my own career. I just came off of 2017. I've been working for myself as as a professional speaker and master of ceremonies now for almost nine years. Come April 1st, I'll be nine years that I've been doing this. And (laughs) 2017 was my biggest year ever. And people are asking me why. And and I have some theories and I have some actual things that I did. But a lot of it was I created a new program that in 2018 is sort of the the, what I'm leading with and everybody who I'm speaking for and going into companies and, and doing training. And it's called the paradox of potential. And I've been doing this research on sort of the gap between potential and results. And what's fascinating is people say, well, how did you come up with this? Well, in 2016, I decided I got this bright idea that I was going to write a one-man show. And it was going to have sort of a business theme. And I thought maybe it was something I could try to pitch to like associations as in addition to a keynote. I'd have this one-man show. And and the main character of the one-man show was my own childhood imaginary friend. And he basically comes back into my life when I turn 50 
and he's pissed because I didn't live up to all the potential I had as I was a really creative kid. And then I put my you know ladder sort of against that corporate wall and, and sort of abandoned who I was. And then he comes back into my life and helps me rediscover sort of my own potential and my own creativity. And the show itself never really went anywhere. I did a read through for some friends and they liked it, but it never was ready for sort of prime time. And, and I, I'm not sure it's dead. I may rewrite it and, and do something else with it. But in preparing it, I had to do some research on potential, and I talked to a bunch of my friends about potential they had as kids or young adults and how they felt about it. And then I started doing more of a formal survey, and as it turns out, most people feel somehow they've dropped the ball on their own potential. And that potential, so what if you have potential? It it doesn't mean you're going to have results. And as the more research I did, the more data I found, the more interesting it became, and a brand new keynote and workshop grew out of what was a failed one-man show, became the most successful thing I have going in my business in 2018. And so a lot of people are like, why are you wasting your time writing a play? And I didn't know the answer to it, but I was drawn to try this creative outlet. And the non-success of the one-man show led me to my keynote, which is now this big growth burst in my business. So I I think that's sort of what you're saying. Yes, that's right. You know, and I I, I think that's exactly... Exactly. Well said. So that leads me to my next question, because there is this potential gap, right? There's potential doesn't equal results. And lots of times we hire people and we think, oh, my gosh, Becky has so much potential. And then three years later, Becky is washed out of the company and everybody's like, well, what happened? She had this great background and she was supposed to be so great. And there's lots of reasons why things like that can happen. So why do you think business leaders find a gap between potential and results and what can they do about it? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it is it is a care it is part of what you talked about earlier. We we've been brought up uh, to not fail, and we've often so often been told um, we're not good at something, and and when we're not good at something, that that holds us back from attempting or doing it again. And I teach this class um, on leading an experience driven organization, and one exercise I give everybody is is an exercise to draw their neighbor, sketch their neighbor and person in the room. And, God, I would be and so you know embarrassed. In the room? I would be so embarrassed for my these, neighbor. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's it. That's it. Because, you know, everybody in the room, to some degree or another, if they're, if they're not the pure artist, has been told, oh, I'm a horrible drawer, or they've laughed. And, and when you tell them to do this, you hear all of these groans. Yeah. <laughs> and so what, what's already in us holding us back from achieving the real results and the capability that we can fully become is, first of all, our, our historical beliefs of what we've been told. And, and so I think it's really important to let go of, of what you weren't good at. Understand that you're not the perfect person at it. But the, 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 the way to maximize potential is to let go of the fear and, and then look for, and what I always think about is look for others that can help and build uh, and build on what you're trying to achieve. You know, I, I break this down, you know, in, into kind of three, three things. One is, you know, for every leader and what's important for us to do and constantly work on, and it's something we do here at Community Brands, is is to get everyone to let go of the ego um, and, and really um, recognize that the purpose is bigger than us as an individual. And, and then the second piece is 
do it with a team. Um, inside and outside our company, there are great best practices. And if you can take that hypothesis, adopt a, a best practice, you're going to move fast and reach greater results. And, and then as leaders, I think it's incumbent on us to empower talent. Um, we have to do that with our own technology inside the company so that, you know, we decentralize the decision making, we push the data closer to the customer, um, and, we, and we allow people that are with the customer and closest to cu- the customer to make those decisions. And organizationally, you're going to reach the potential and you're going to give those that are up and coming the, the tools and the empowerment and the opportunity to you know what, have an idea, sometimes make a mistake, but learn from that. Hmm. Well, you said a lot of things right there. So I want to um, unpack three of them. Number one, you said empower talent. How do you get managers to let go? How do you get them to, to empower talent? Well, I, I think one of, one of the things that, that I always talk about is it's the question you ask uh, is probably the most effective way to empower your talent. Um, and so one of the things that we think about with, with managers and leaders is having them engage their team with the simple question, what do you think, um, versus us saying what we think. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that first and foremost is, is, is so critical so that we are asking, we, we are presenting the closest to the customer, the problem and challenging challenge we have that becomes an empowering. I think, you know, the other, the other piece is giving them stretch projects um, and, and having managers put a team together uh, to, to really solve an internal or external problem in the market. Um, if we can give them these problems, and I always take it when I think about how do we teach an organization, it, we want to teach, we want to teach and learn through action. Um, and I think that that lets and gives managers the freedom to do that. The other piece I would think about in, in, in managers is their role is to grow talent. So often we put so much of their compensation and their reward system behind achieving a business outcome. You've got to balance the reward system at, tied to business outcomes with the reward system tied to the progression of their talent, their team, and the education of those individuals. Hmm. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, you talk about give them a stretch project. When, when I do this workshop and, and this keynote on the paradox of potential, it's pretty interactive. And one of the main things every audience always talks about is they're not reaching their potential because they get stuck in their comfort zone. So I'm sitting here, mm-hmm. not I'm sitting here nodding while you talk about that because the comfort zone, by the nature of what it's called, is comfortable. And so I, I loved that when you talked about giving them stretch projects because when we're pushed and we have to stretch, that's when that's when we grow. So I think you're you're definitely onto something because that comes up in every single uh, workshop that I do is this whole comfort zone issue. Yeah, and, and you know what I like to think about is being this kind of entrepreneurial leader is is really uh, when I sit down with employees and, and people that want to come to work here, I tell them why it's the best job. Your title doesn't define you here. Um, and in, in, in some of our past legacy ways in which business was created, you were stuck in a role and defined by the role. Here, 
you can work in support and be writing copy for our website. Um, you can be in sales and yet still be doing something in the financial unit of the business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so that, that when you, when you talk about kind of founder led and early stage businesses, that's, that's always what's exciting. People are getting more skills. They're using the knowledge and creativity and, we like keeping that even in now that as community brands is this, you know, 1900 person company. I still like keeping this company that says anybody can do any part. We want you to do more. Um, and so we try and pick where people's passion is, not just because they're a support role or a service role. Doesn't mean they can't be in marketing or they can't be in a finance uh, component of the business. Well, I love that part about your title doesn't define you because I'm remembered back to when I worked in corporate America, a couple of different jobs I had, you know, I was a sales or marketing person, but I had this desire to, to, to maybe do some training or, or be a trainer. And I actually worked for a training company for a while and I asked them, could I get certified as a trainer? And they're like, no, your job is to sell. And I'm like, yeah, but I had this thing inside of me. I wanted to do it. I probably would have sold more and worked for them longer if they had let me teach a couple of classes because that was inside yep. of me. That's what I wanted to do. And now that's what I do for a life. But, you know, I always remember it was like, no, you're a sales guy. You go sell. And I always, I, even at the time, and I was a younger man, I thought, you know, how screwed is that? So I, I, I think that's yeah. good. Um, so I think that's great that you guys do that. A couple more things I wanted to in, uh, unpack from what you said initially was you talked about, you know, letting go of, of, of ego. You know, again, I think that's a hard thing for people to do. So how do you get people to, to let go of the <laughs> ego? Especially, you know, they, people like titles. Come on, this is corporate America, man. They, they want that VP title. How do, you, how do you let go of that ego? Yeah, you know, it's, I, I wish I had the, the single – sentence and advice of, of how to do that. Um, to me, that is, that is part of our uh, evolution and our spiral dynamics and, and our journey in life. Um, but, you know, I, I think getting them to do it versus really, you know, building a company. So if I'm, I'm talking to entrepreneurs or people that are trying to build a company, how do you do it? One of the best paths is start with who you're hiring. Um, start right at the hiring point and understand the degree to which the ego is playing with that person. Uh, because, you know, it, it, it takes certain experiences. And I, and I think these are the things that to help people understand when we talk about diversity, we don't talk about diversity based on solely based on race or sex or age. We talk about diversity in the context of life experience. Where did you come from? And so much of it is storytelling about life experiences. The ego can drop when you start hearing and sharing stories and vulnerability. Um, because once we become, become more open and more vulnerable, we become more trusting. And so, you know, I think those are some of the things that, that take the ego down. I think the other, the other piece is that, you have to have a reward system inside the company where you reward we, not I. Um, and as your reward system and your behaviors in your company reflect teamwork, less about individual and more about outcome and team, then people begin to form into that mo mold of operating or they select out of it. 
Right. Yeah, no, that's true. If people aren't the right fit, they can they can move on for sure. And there was one other thing that you touched on kind of when you went through sort of that that whole thing about, you know, what people can do to, to, to move through that potential to results. You talked about fear, and that's another topic that comes up in every workshop that I do on this paradox of potential. The thing that holds people back, doesn't matter how much potential they have, is they're scared to act. So how do you, as a leader, get past your own fear? You know, for for me, it is, it's really understanding the outcome I'm trying to drive and the way I mitigate risk. And, and I think, I you know, I do this with our customers. I do it with our product development and I do it with every big bet that I'm making. I'm trying to do enough learning through others of Others that have gone before me, many have gone before me and done a lot of what we do. Um, and if I can learn from their mistakes, it, it brings my fear down. If I can identify enough people that have done or tried the things we are trying to do, it brings, brings my fear down. So I, I try and do the things that reduce risk. Um, and I also would say upfront, talking about, what the risks are and being transparent, you know, whether you have an investor, whether you have a board, uh, whether you have a customer, uh, the fear is driven by, you know, what might happen if it fails and in the eyes of whoever the recipient or benefactor of that is. And I think upfront having discussion about the possible consequences and outcomes if you have those in advance and they're transparent and clear, it, it takes all the fear away. Hmm. As I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, it's been nine years since I've worked for another company other than working for myself. You know, listening to you talk, I'm like, I want to work for I want to work for community brands. I mean, JP is an awesome boss. So, I mean, I think well, there's you, other people who are know, listening going, I, I want to work for a company like that. I, I would never leave if I worked for a company like that. Yeah. It, it, you know what? It's. It, I, I think you've got to, you've got to evaluate these pieces. I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I made a big, big mistake in my past, in my professional career. I, you know, I was solely responsible for the drop of the net promoter score on a flagship product. Oops. Uh, Well-recognized <laughs> and known. Wow. Oops. Um, you know, and, and my CEO didn't come down and fire me. He came down and said, what did you learn? And, and then he, then he, then he said, you know what, this is just going to make you that much better. And you know what, that's, that's, it's not only just how do we get past our, our fears individually, but what do we do to help others get past those fears? And it really is about, look, the real value came because I made the mistake. Hmm. So I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can be focused on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing real cool people like JP. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do because you email me about this, Jump over to podfly.net slash 
cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So JP, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the newest, most exciting, and coolest thing that Community Brands is doing right now? You know, I, I think one of the, the coolest things that, that we are, are really doing is bringing, you know, first and foremost, companies together. Um, what used to be competitors are now actually coming together in a business model to operate as a family of brands to better serve its, its, its actual market. And, and what I love about it is, you know, it, it's almost a business model difference. Um, and I, I find that sometimes, you know, it's not just innovation and technology that's cool, but it's, it's a different approach to business. And, you know, we've done, you know, 15 acquisitions in less than 12 months. And we've brought companies and products together and people together to work in new dynamic ways. And some of those dynamic ways are bringing artificial intelligence to the not-for-profit market, um, virtual reality capabilities to the not-for-profit market. Things that are, you know, out there in the for-profit market uh, are now being extended into not-for-profits. And, and, and that I find really, really, really cool. That's awesome. Hey, the last one of the I have two more questions. One of the last questions I ask everyone who comes on the show, and I get really excited about this because this is how I learn. I make cool things entrepreneurs do sort of my own personal university. And we could talk about you, JP, all day long. We could talk about community brands and, and the great things you're doing. Like I said, I, I was ready to apply a few minutes ago, and I, then I had to remember I run my own business. But we could talk about that all day. But I think that people who are really entrepreneurial, I think they're observers. So I love to ask the guests on this show, who out there do you see where you say, wow, that entrepreneur outside of your business, he or she, they're doing something cool? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I've, I've had a great admiration for education and learning. Um, I, I love what Salman Khan and Khan Academy are doing. Yes. I, I think they're transforming education. I think it's the, the, the ideas that are, that are there about where, where the lecture takes place how the student goes through the actual practice uh, of the exercises and then where the teaching happens and, and almost reverse engineering. I think it, it is incredibly cool uh, what, what Khan Academy is doing. And, and I like to stay attuned, attuned to that. I think, you know, another one, uh, which is part of my journey line um, and, and I hold in high regards and admiration. I love what Intuit does and Brad Smith, um, you know, how everything from how they lead to how they have an innovation engine and factory in the company. Um, I, I think what they do there. And then even just in, in my own individual market, uh, uh, an entrepreneur named Jeb Ori, uh, and, and a just early stage and emerging high growth company called phone to action and how he's really empowering, um, organizations around advocacy and connecting with legislators and, and influencing bills, but doing it in a very, very unique and different way, uh, using data, using social, uh, using communications um, in, in fundamentally different ways. So there are three people I, I just, you know, kind of look at and see, you know, changing the world. I could give you probably all the normal people we talk about, but, um, you know, those are, those are three that I, that I, I kind of admire at how they approach it. I think it's great. Now, what I love was you had three totally different 
sort of company size and, 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 and like you said, journey line type people. But the other thing was, is I just sat here smiling, listening to you because you do have a real energy and a passion when you talk about things you care about. And so it was fun to hear, you know, you, I, you could have kept going. I would have just kept listening to whoever you admired going forward. So the final question I ask everybody, and, and this makes me laugh when I interview people like you, who, who you're, business itself is about the greater good. But I think that true entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. I mean, money's great. I want to make more of it. But I think that true entrepreneurs want to find a way to, to leave their mark on the world. So I love to ask everyone before we close out, what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Yeah, you know, I think I, I thought about this for, for, for a while. And, and you know, I, 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 we, we've had great success. And with, with success comes an obligation to, to give back. And, you know, one, we've created a foundation uh, in the company uh, that gives back. Uh, we, we fund grants, we fund mission trips, we fund volunteer hours uh, for, for our communities and for our employees. Um, so, so that's a means of, of really giving, giving back. Um, for, for me, you know, personally, uh, it, is, it is spending time uh, actually volunteering uh, and being part of the community and, and actually teaching. Um, I, I believe my, the, the day we've had great, great financial success at the company. And, and now the greatest legacy and, and value I can leave is to teach and, and inspire and give others opportunity. I love what you said that with success comes an obligation to give back. And, and I believe deeply in that. And I don't talk about it on every show, but every now and then I, I like to remind the audience a little bit about what we did. My, my daughter was born with a condition where the bones in her skull were fused together and she had to undergo really massive surgery as an infant. And the, the, the upside of the story is today she's 16. She's a straight A student. Heck, in February, in, I'm sorry, in November, she gave a TED Talk. I mean, this kid is, she's dynamic. And, mm. and, and you know, I, no one's ever asked me to give a TEDx talk and, and my, my kid gave one. Yeah. And uh, trust that me, once, fantastic. once the video goes up officially, I've seen the video, but once it goes up on TEDx.com, uh, I'll probably talk about it a lot. But, uh, uh, you know, she was born with this condition and we were very fortunate that she came through it. They removed most of the top, much of the top of her skull. Uh, the bones grew back and, and she's fine and she has no memory of it. But I always like to remind people that her mother and I will never forget because it was a scary time. Mm -hmm. But when I started my speaking yep. business a decade ago, one of the things we did is we decided that we were fortunate. I was I had a full-time job at the time. I was making extra money keynoting and speaking and training. So we started giving small percentage of every time I gave a speech, we would write a check. And it wasn't yeah. a lot of money. It was $50 here, $25 there. And then when I went full-time, I remember somebody saying, well, now that you're starting a business, you won't give part of your income away. And I was like, yeah, we're going to keep doing that. And you fast forward yep. a, dec a decade or more, and the Kate Singer Endowment for Cranial Facial Surgery and Research that exists at two separate children's hospitals, the one in Austin where we live and the one in San Diego uh, where Kate was operated on because the Austin facility didn't exist when Kate was born. We had to travel to find state-of-the-art facilities and doctors. It's over $70,000. Now, I don't come from a family that has, has their name on the walls of hospitals, and yet we have mm -hmm. these two funded endowments at these two hospitals. And what's fascinating to me about it is that 
you know, I think that's what we have to do as entrepreneurs. If you have success, you have an obligation to find a cause and find what's in your heart and give back. And it can be money. It can be time. It can be good vibes and support. There's lots of ways you give back. But I love talking with people like you about this because I'm really passionate about it that if everybody who was an entrepreneur or even just had that entrepreneurial spirit found a cause and supported it just with little teeny things – over time, it adds up. Yep. I, call, I call it compounded generosity because much like you know, compounded savings and interest, if you start saving for retirement at 20, you're going to have more money than if you start saving when you're 50. It's magical. The same thing is true about that giving muscle, and, and I think that's awesome that you do all that. Yep. Thank you. It, it, it's, it, it's incredibly fulfilling, and I think mm-hmm. you know, as entrepreneurs, I, I remember someone saying you know, when I worked in one of my former companies, I remember us hitting $200 million in, in, in a year and had a huge close to the end of the year. And we, we actually impacted the, the company's stock price. But, you know, what we all talked about was when we retire, we're actually going to talk about how hard it was and how fun, how much fun we had together and the memories that were created. And, and I think, you know, that comes through you get that experience through giving back too. And I, and I think that's, you know, I always say I've been blessed to to feel like I haven't worked a day in my life um, (laughs) for a job. I, 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 my, my office is an extension of my home and, and, and not literally, but, you know, figuratively. And, and, you know, I think the more we can give back in return, it comes back around. I haven't worked a day in my life. How many of you listeners out there wish that you could say that? And I think that when you truly have this this spirit that, that JP clearly has about business, about family, about life, about philanthropy, about giving, when it all comes together and wraps into one, that's when you get to say that. And that's when it's really exciting. And, and I, I wish I could have said that my whole life. There was many, many years, maybe decades, where I slodged to work. But uh, I made a commitment when I turned 50 that uh, I was going to have the, the best years of my life from 50 to 75, and uh, I'm, I'm working on that every day, and it's a lot of fun to be able to say the same thing. I don't feel like I work anymore. So JP, awesome. JP Gilbo, thank you so much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If anyone is listening to the show and they go, I, I need to know more about community brands, I need to find JP, how do they track you down? Uh, you know, pretty, pretty easy. You can find me on Twitter at JP Gilbo, uh, J P G U I L B A U L T or, uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active in social networks and that's probably the easiest and quickest way to get me. Awesome. Well, that is fantastic. Again, thank you so much for sharing your story and your advice with the listeners of this show. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened to this episode. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So you are the most important part of this. So let me know that you're out there. Send me an email, tom at tomsanger.com. Uh, jump over to Twitter at Cool Podcast. Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. And we have a Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do Facebook page as well. So feel free to jump over there and you'll get uh, alerts to the latest episodes when we interview very cool people like JP. And if you want to get involved with the Potential Mastermind Project, jump over to PotentialMastermind.com. You'll find out all the information you could need to know. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as JP. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.